Thanks, Nell. My Bible's over to uh, Romans chapter 6. If you have a prayer slip or visitor slip, if you'd like to pass those in. I want to um, bring to your attention a special celebration this week. May Hughes is our oldest member. And I stopped by this week. She celebrated her 105th birthday this week. And I'm candidate for the worst selfie taker on the planet. But I went into her room and she was uh, reading her Bible. She said to me, you know, I've had a great life. That 104th year was tough though. It was a beautiful thing, and I I just want to plant in your mind and in mine that the body of Christ rightly understood is a multi-generational experience. And so remember that, that we're reaching out and reaching behind and reaching forward and one generation praising God's uh, deeds to the next generation. Uh, Also, I just want to bring to your attention John Slayton. What a week it's been in our church family on so many fronts, number of surgeries and difficulties. But John uh, Slayton um, faced um, just a tremendous challenge. Their family, his beautiful children are here in their normal spot. And we're praying for your dad, Slayton's, and we're thankful for God's hand on his life. But uh, made his way home um, on Monday and uh, blacked out and ran his vehicle into a neighbor's house. And... um, Uh, crushed his left shoulder and his left hip and broke his sternum and what most concerned them in the triage of it all was um, the swelling on his brain and which led to the MRI confirming that he had a brain tumor so on Tuesday he had the shoulder repaired and on Wednesday he had the tumor removed and on Thursday he had uh, the hip replaced and he texted me last night wanting me to say thank you, thank you, thank you for reaching out to his family and the many visits have meant more than he could really express. So we are thankful for God's hand on John and for his wife Angela. Pray for them as you can only imagine the challenges they're facing right now. And we're praying for that pathology report as well, uh, that God would be merciful in it all. And we praise his holy name. Romans 6.23 the wages of sin and the free gift of God. Some Bible verses seem to stick out in our minds. They grip us as we're reading the Bible and uh, we read these verses, they speak powerfully and arrest us and call us to attention. I think of uh, Genesis 4-7 that I've mentioned a couple times in recent weeks when God said to Cain, sin is crouching at your door. In Genesis 50, Joseph uh, said, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Moses said to the tribes of Israel uh, at a particular, at a critical point um, in the the conquest of the, in preparation for conquest, be sure your sin will find you out. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Romans 5.8, God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And many, many others that we could add to that list that call us to listen and it boils down things in simplistic terms. We could add to that our text this morning, Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
Charles Spurgeon referred to this verse as a Christian proverb, a golden sentence, a divine statement of truth worthy to be written across the sky. Romans 6.23 is brief and easy to memorize. Uh, There are 21 words in the ESV. There are 19 in the Greek text. Only three of these words have more than one syllable. And they're certainly not difficult. Wages, eternal, and Jesus. The verse has been shared by millions in their efforts to communicate the gospel. And for our study this morning, Romans 6.23 concludes a chapter in which the Apostle Paul presents Jesus Christ as the one who has freed us from the bondage of sin to walk in newness of life and brings us into a royal slavery that's no bondage at all. So we're to present our instruments, we're to present our bodies, we're to present our lives for righteousness sake to the Lord who is our master. With Christ as our master and savior, we have died to sin and are in the lifetime process of being conformed into his likeness, a process called sanctification. Sanctification will not be completed in this life, but it should be rightly understood in upward trajectory, sometimes three steps forward, sometimes two steps back, nevertheless moving on in obedience, looking to the Lord who is our refuge and strength. Those who would follow him must be willing to be his slaves. Far from bitter bondage, we discover that in Christ we are given the greatest privilege to be the slave of Jesus Christ. Paul mentioned this over and over and over and over again in his letters. Paul, a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Same word, doulos, slave. In Romans 6, Paul is writing about the present life for the believer. The life we now live We live by faith in him and stressing that having been freed from the slavery of sin, a Christian must live to serve God, to present ourselves to him as living sacrifices. And although there are eternal ends, there is death and life, we must not overlook that there is also a present death and a present life to be considered. So Romans 6 really is about how you and I are living our lives right now. Are we living them for him? Are we surrendered to him? Are we given over to him? Is he the joy of our heart and of our life? Paul is concerned with the effects of sin and righteousness in this life and not with the life to come, although that is part of understanding salvation. Romans 6 has emphasized to us as followers of Christ, we don't regard our sin lightly. We don't treat our sin in a cavalier way as if it's no big deal. Yes, it's been dealt with. Yes, it's been paid for. But in light of that great payment and grace and love, God has called us to walk in obedience before him. There's little tolerance for this kind of conversation in present company. In most circles, any discussion about sin is is viewed as impolite, uncouth, um, judgmental, preachy, Well, there's a place for preaching, especially if it's God's word. And yes, we need to show the love of Christ in personal conversation, but never to the whitewashing of the truth. There's a little tolerance for calling sin as God sees it, which is all followers of Christ should be interested in as far as living out the truth. So I'm thinking, you know, just in the cultural sense, 
how, how, do we, um, how do we respond to certain things? If a man or woman leaves their marriage for another, that's called adultery. That's not judgmental. That's just what it is. Therefore, such a person could rightly be called an adulterer. That's not a judgment. That's an assessment of what you've chosen to do. Uh, likewise, if a couple lives together without being married in biblical terms, that's called fornication. That's not judgmental. That's just stating what it's, how God has defined it. And such would apply to every issue of life in which the Bible speaks. If I gossip about others, that is behavior that God has gone on record saying that he abominates. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. Dr. Fred Luter, the pastor of Franklin Avenue Baptist Church, said in one of our denominational meetings a few years ago, nothing can be politically correct that is biblically wrong. I would add to that, nothing can be socially acceptable that God has called sin. And so Romans 6 is saying to us, we don't treat sin in our life cavalierly. Followers of Jesus are called to speak the truth and beginning with ourselves. I find it very interesting in, in Romans 6 that Paul never speaks to uh, others sinning against us. Oh, he'll pick that up in chapter 12. We'll get there eventually. But in chapter 6, he's dealing with the believer's sin, the log that's in our eye, that we should be removing it so we can help our brother and sister with the speck that's in their eye. We are to speak the truth, the objective truth revealed in Scripture, and we are to do so in love. And this is part and parcel of what it means for believers to be salt and light. And so we're called to walk carefully, not paranoid, not in an unhealthy fear that somehow God is against us, ready to snuff us out if we make a mistake. We're, we live with no condemnation over our lives because of the great work of our Savior and we're accountable to him. Isn't, you know, again, he doesn't mention others sinning against us. This is not, Romans 6 is not a chapter where we are pointing fingers at others. We're looking at our own heart. I think of Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. We quote these verses often around here. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you with, along with all malice. Put it out of your life, believer. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. So Romans 6 begins with the question, in verse 1, are we to continue in sin that grace may increase? And again in verse 15, shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? And the answer is emphatically no. You shall not and cannot because you've been bought with a price. And so Romans 6.23 framed against this backdrop is the closing word on why you and I should not and must not go on li living in sin or being ruled by sin if we are partakers of the grace found in Jesus Christ. And that's one of the functions of being involved in a healthy church where we are reminding ourselves of God's call on our life. Sin is a power it's been dealt with definitively at the cross of Jesus Christ where Satan was dealt a death blow on those beams of Calvary. Jesus paid it all, all to him we owe. He said it is finished and that is true. There will never be another sin payment. If you're looking for a savior, a redeemer, a helper, look to Christ with regard to, he is our only mediator between God and man. 
And we are filled with hope when we look to him. We're not left hopeless and without guidance and power to overcome besetting sins. Practically, we're called to present ourselves to him as slaves of righteousness. And so I want to hold up Romans 6.23 by looking at three contrasts. Three in this simple verse. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life and Christ Jesus our Lord. Let me just say yet again the two ways presenting in in Scripture and only two. And the first contrast would be this, death versus life. And it's quite reasonable to think, okay, I'm in this building today, I'm breathing air, I decided to come here, I have plans this afternoon, I'm thinking through my schedule for next week, I hope not too much right now. And you, um, you know, you're thinking, I'm alive. I'm alive and well. I love my life. And Romans 6.23 applied to that mentality. Says very confidently, hold on. There's a contrast between death and life. The wages of sin is death. In Genesis 2.17 But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, God said to Adam, for the day you eat of it you will surely die. What did Adam do? He ate and he died physically 930 years when all was said and done, but he died. And there's reason to believe in the Garden of Eden that God gave means of grace. The first animals were sacrificed. Skins were given to, uh, clothing was given to Adam and Eve. There was the first mention of a gospel, the proto first, euangelion, gospel, good news, that from the seed of woman, one would come forth who would crush the head of the tempter. And that was fulfilled ultimately in Jesus and his life-saving work. In the book of Deuteronomy, The first five books of the Bible deal with this issue of sin. And in the book of Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the Bible, chapter 30, the Lord called Israel to faithfulness. And he said, I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God and obeying his voice, holding fast to him, for he is your life and length of days. Joshua led the conquest And after uh, his leadership, when it was coming to an end, he, he addressed Israel and he said, if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And all of Israel said, yeah, we're in, we're, we're there, we're in for a generation. And then in the book of Judges, In this vicious cycle for some 350 years during the era of the judges, Israel forsook God and embraced idolatry and God brought oppressors and Israel had to cry out in mourning over their sin and God brought a deliverer to deliver them only to repeat the cycle again. And maybe you're thinking, that sounds like my sanctification. 
And so in the book of Judges, it says the people of Israel did evil. This is one generation removed from Joshua. They did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Baals. They abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, and did whatever they want. And the refrain throughout Judges was that men did what was right in their own eyes. Kind of like today. So God sets before us death versus life. And what are the two ways? What are the two ways? There's a way that leads to life and there's a way that leads to death. And if you're without Jesus Christ, you're on the wide and broad road that leads to destruction. I don't like those parameters. I don't like those terms. Those are the terms we find in scripture over and over and over again. Blessed is the man who walks in the counsel of the ungodly, who doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and he's following the Lord, and he's trusting the Lord. And God says, I will bless you, and you'll be like a tree planted by the streams of water that brings forth its fruit in season. There's a way that leads to life, and there's a way that leads to death. And what makes the difference is the Lord Jesus Christ, God's gift that's extended even this moment is the gift of eternal life. I just am amazed at the wonder of that. When you think about the years and the years and the times and the epics of human history that God has spoken through his son to us in these last days, and that the gospel is extended right now and real time to this assembly and to those who may be watching. Every time the gospel is spoken, it's another statement of God's kindness and patience to us that we would turn to him that we might live. God's gift is eternal life. And the life God gives is what spares us and saves us from spiritual death, the life God gives to spiritually dead people through Jesus Christ, and that his spirit is moving in this world, convincing men and women of their need for him, and to hold up the message of the cross that God did this for us. He demonstrated his love to us in this free will, free um, well-meant offer of the gospel, The soul that resides within you came into existence the moment you were conceived. You became a living soul. And your soul will live forever in one of two places. And where that comes to bear in your life as eternity is just tissue paper thin, right? So many things can happen in a given day, in a given moment that changed your life forever? Where are you going? What road are you on? Do you know the life that God gives through eternal life? Through Jesus Christ our Lord? Turn with me to John 6 for just a moment. John 6, 47. I love this in simple terms. From time to time, I'll take you to a statement like this in Scripture. John 6, 47. And in John 6, Jesus had hard things to say. In fact, in the latter part of the chapter, his preaching was so offensive, many walked no more with him. And Jesus said to the disciples, shall you also go away? And Peter answered for the 12, where shall we go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. John 6, 47, would you look at the simplicity of this? 
Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes, and the idea is in him, whoever believes has what? Eternal life. I'm the bread of life. We would also read in scripture, whoever believes not does not have life, but the wrath of God abides on them. But Jesus said, you believe in me, you become a possessor of eternal life right now. Received through faith, believing the account that scripture gives of who Jesus is, what he did, his sinless life, his death on the cross and his resurrection, that this is what I must embrace and what I must receive. Eternal life has to do with knowing God. Jesus said in John 17, 3, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you sent. Eternal life has to do with knowing him in an ever-increasing measure. It means holiness coupled to, with joy and blessing. It means realizing uh, that the reason I was created was to bring glory to God. It's finding our purpose and meaning in this world. So I would hold up that first contrast and that would be death versus life. Where are you with that? How can that change right now? Well, it would, it would happen this way, that you're hearing this and you're thinking, you know what, how is it with my soul? If it's gonna live forever in one of two places, where am I gonna be when I die? Does God have something for me today? And he most certainly does. He has come that you might have life and have it to the full through a personal relationship with a saving faith relationship with Christ to receive him, to acknowledge your sin and to receive him for who he is and walk in obedience to him. Notice the second contrast. Sin versus God. Sin versus God. The wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life. Sin versus God. One of the most beneficial studies you and I can make is to search the word of God for a right understanding of sin. Because we often think of it on the big categories, the breaking of uh, the Ten Commandments and notorious sins. But it's deeper than that. It's a, it's a power. It's affected us in that we are born with a sin nature. Sin can be pictured as an archer releasing an arrow from his bow and missing the target. It's missing the mark. Sin has been defined as a, a lack of conformity, a transgression, a stepping over the line of God's standards and laws. It speaks to a lack of conformity. God's word says this, God's law says this, and we're doing something quite opposite. We're in flagrant violation of it. Sin is an action performed by reasonable creatures as creatures made in the image of God. We make decisions according to our nature. We have a sin nature and so all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And because of sin, we're declared unclean. Because of sin, it's called an accursed thing. Because of sin, we see it in our ignorance of God's ways and do, doing what we want to do. And we also see it in blinding deception uh, to uh, sin's problems we see our spiritual condition and we overinflate our spiritual resume before God and, and we are experts at blame shifting and comparing with others when God's the standard. 
Anna Russell wrote some years ago um, of the common blame shift of responsibility for our sins. She writes, at three, I had a feeling of ambivalence toward my brothers, and so it follows naturally, I poisoned all my lovers. But now I'm happy. I have learned the lesson this has taught that everything I do that's wrong, it's someone else's fault. And so we're experts at blame shifting. And so we look at the tragedy of sin, those who are deceived by sin and under the bondage of, of it think that, that it is a true master. The deception follows with this line of thinking, doing things my way seems to reward me and affirm me and make me happy. But when all is said and done, the deception of sin leaves you ashamed and devastated and alone. And the worst place you can ever be alone is before the judgment bar of God with no advocate. Isn't this a beautiful thought for the believer that we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, who is a propitiation for our sins, having paid for them, satisfying God's judgment so it would never be spoken against us or applied to us. Sin leaves slaves before the judgment of God with nothing but judgment. A judgment which is righteous and will leave every catchy comeback silenced. And it brings death ultimately. Look with me at Matthew 5 for just a moment. This picture of the final judgment spoken by Jesus. If you're ever wondering, you know, did Jesus ever speak about judgment? He most certainly did over and over again. He came and said that I've come um, to seek and to save that which is lost and to be a ransom for many. Here in Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46, we won't look at all of it, but he's speaking about this final judgment and God separating uh, people one from another as a sheep separates the, or the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he, he goes through a list of what life looks like for those who follow him and what life looks like for those who don't. And he concludes in verse 46. And these will go away into eternal punishment. Eternal punishment. But the righteous into eternal life. He contrasts these. Eternal life and eternal death. Sin versus God. God is the giver of eternal life. He is the giver of gifts. All, all of sin's benefits are fleeting and soul-destroying and lead to eternal death. Sin's wage is death. And many want the benefits of salvation without the allegiance to, to Christ. They don't want to follow, and that's exactly what Jesus has called us to do. So look at, look at these in a Reader's Digest bullet point fashion of simple commands that Jesus gives for those who would follow him in salvation. Repent, he begin, we'll begin with this, repent and believe the gospel. Come to me, Jesus said. Come to me, how? By faith. Come to me right now. Follow me, he said to Matthew in the tax collector's booth. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. 
abide in me, remain in me, walk with me, seek me. May that be your heart's desire to seek me every moment. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Jesus said in John 10, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. Do you hear his voice? How? Through the authority of his word going out to you today? It rings true in your heart. That's the word of my Lord to me. I am really not interested in the pithy insights of Brother Jim. I'm really interested. I'm not, I'm not interested in that. I'm really interested in you hearing the word of God and saying, that's my Savior speaking to me. He's got a call on my life and I will live for him. And as we think about what it means to follow him, that means saying no to a lot of things, doesn't it? John Phillips wrote, no person can expect victory who doesn't really want victory. No person can expect victory who has a soft attitude towards sin. And that is the purpose of Romans 6, that we would take seriously what it means to present ourselves to him. So contrast one, death versus life. Which do you have? Contrast two, sin, which deceives and damns and lies and shames, or God who restores and forgives and cleanses. And then the third contrast, wages versus God's grace. We'll close with this, wages versus God's grace. God gives gifts. He doesn't give wages. The word wages in Romans 6.23 describes sin's effects. The word was used of a daily ration of food. So a Roman soldier at the end of the day would get his ration of food, literally fish ration. Sounds like fun, doesn't it? Given to a Roman soldier for his service. Not a large payment, not a large sum. This isn't speaking of an inheritance that you get when you're bequeathed um, part of an estate. It's not a large payment given at the end of a soldier service, but something measured out to him day by day. It emphasizes the individual's present state, not his future state. In Romans 1, there's a, a similar application regarding the wrath of God to our minds. We think of the wrath of God as future, standing before uh, the judgment of God, and certainly that is ultimately where it is dispensed, but Romans 1 says the, the wrath of God is seen now. When you see a cultural a culture in a downward spiral like ours is right now, where any sense of standard is gone, where God's word is set apart, his commandments are belittled, and you're trying to figure out what a woman is, that's a, that's a culture in trouble. And Romans 1, 18 through 32 indicates this is a cultural culture spiraling out of control and it's a sign of the wrath of God already. Already. Romans 1 is the present outworking of God's wrath against men and women as seen in the downward life path of those who reject him. I'm reminded of C.S. Lewis's comment that hell really is God giving to someone what they wanted all along, namely life without him. The Bible teaches that salvation is the gift of God. 
The word is charisma, which actually means a free gift. Wages are something we earn. They're the result of our working or doing. They exact something out of us. They drain us <laughs> after a long work week. Many could testify that they take from us. But a gift is something that is unearned. It's free. And that's exactly what salvation is. It's the free gift of God for those who turn to Jesus Christ by faith. So we could translate Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the grace of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. His grace. So are you living for him? If not, why not? Why would you continue on a self-destructive path? Or maybe as one who thinks, man, I like my life. I don't want anybody playing with my life. I'm going to do what I want to do. That you would hear, I have an appointment with death. I don't know when death will come forward. I need to be right with God right now. Right now. Not 10 years from now. Not when I'm done playing around in college. I need to be right with him right now. In my youth years, in my senior adult years, I need to be living for him right now. You don't know what a day will bring forth. Maybe you've been ensnared by sin for so long, and you've heard the Lord say to you, want to be free? Rise and walk and follow me. I'll give you what you need. You follow me. I picture going back to Matthew in the tax collector's booth. He'd kind of sold out. All the Jews hated him because he was working for the Romans now, Jewish, and now he's working in a tax collector's booth of all places. I could just picture Jesus walking up to him one day and looking in that tax collector's booth and saying to him, follow me. Follow me. And walking up to you on this Sunday, October 9th, and looking at you and saying, follow me right now. Well, that's the effectual calling of God. That's not something a preacher can manipulate in any way. But maybe you need to put down whatever you're doing. No, you need to put down whatever you're doing and follow him right now by faith. I was, uh, and we'll close with this. I was drawn to this um, conclusion by in one of Charles Spurgeon's sermons on Romans 6.23. And he references Ezekiel 37, which is a scene where God calls the prophet to go to the valley of dry bones. And God says to Ezekiel, son of man, can these bones live? What do you do when God asks you a question? What are you going to say? <laughs> what Ezekiel said, I, I would imagine, oh, sovereign Lord, you know alone. <laughs> We're not going to say, no, you can't do it. No, you know. But when he was told to preach to them, he did. And those dry bones came together in one of those glorious moments in the Old Testament. The bones came together, took on flesh, rose up, and became a giant army. And that is what is necessary if you and I are to be delivered from sin. The wages of sin is death. And spiritually speaking, you are dead as those dry bones in the valley 
No one but God can bring life to out of death. No one but Jesus can make your dead bones live. No one can make your heart thrilled over the gospel but him. And he will as you come to him and you need to come to him now. I was drawn to an old hymn, come every soul by sin oppressed, there's mercy with the Lord. And he will surely give you rest by trusting in his word. Only trust him. Only trust him. Only trust him now. He will save you. He will save you. He will save you now. Would you bow with me in prayer? I'm just taken by the book of Romans. Sometimes we can come to familiar themes and think, well, that's what so-and-so needs. But I'm just reminded that's what you and I need right now. And I don't know how God has spoken to you in these closing moments of this service, but I pray that you would respond to this well-meant offer of the gospel yet again. The difference between life and death, the difference between sin and God, the difference between wages that will leave you high and dry and drained and ashamed and the free gift of his grace to be received by faith right now. Would you receive it? Would you call upon him? Seek the Lord while he is near. Call upon him while he is here. Father, we pray in these closing moments that we would give our heart and life to you and that we would present ourselves to you as living sacrifices, instruments of righteousness, that we might live for you and shine for you in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together as we sing.